And oftentimes it's no one's choice, I think, to go into long-term care. And if it is, it's, it is just um, what's left in terms of living as independently as possible, right? And oftentimes it's the families making that decision as well. So I really empathize with the residents and the families. I often called families myself, like every single day I was calling family members. And I think they were kind of shocked by that because it wasn't very common just to update them on their, their loved one's progress and things like that. But in terms of relating, I felt like I was in their home. I felt like that that's kind of how I approached every interaction with my residents was that I was in their space as opposed to me or them being in my space because I was the therapist. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that you've learned to come to and trust when it comes to real information about this mysterious industry, the nursing home industry. In today's episode, we are going to discuss some strategies, some ideas, a mindset uh, for us to better understand the communication between the professionals in the nursing home space and those that they serve in this space and it's service that they do. In order to address this properly, I'm excited to have with me uh, Jennifer George. Jennifer is a podcast host of her own, as well as a, an author and a speaker and a physiotherapist. Maybe at some point you'll explain to me what that is. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, awesome. So before we jump into the subject matter, just if you don't mind taking maybe 30 seconds or so and just letting our, it could take longer if you need, letting our listeners know <laughs> a little bit about who you are and how you come to being involved in the nursing home space. Yeah, so I, so my name's Jennifer. I'm a physiotherapist. That's what I've been trained in here in Ontario, Canada. So I've been practicing now since about 14 years, I'd say, just the end of 2007. I started my career in the orthopedic space because that was kind of the thing to do, like a private clinic space and sports injuries, things like that, return to work, motor vehicle accidents. And it and I liked it. I enjoyed it. It wasn't what I was most passionate about, but I did enjoy it and it served as a good foundation. And then my mm -hmm. the clinic that I was working at was closing and a former mentor of mine knew that that was happening and reached out to me. And she was someone who was in the ortho space, like a strong orthopedic therapist and actually had started working in long-term care or nursing homes and suggested that I give it a try. And at first I was, I got to be honest, I was quite surprised. I, I didn't expect to love it as much. And, and when I started, I absolutely fell in love with it. So I worked in long-term care for at least three years. And I learned a lot in that space when it came to communication and empowering partnerships between residents and provider and communicating with family members as well and, and staff. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. 
Thank you. No, thank you for that overview. What, mm-hmm. you, what, what did you do specifically in nursing? What was your job? So working as a physio, my, my job was to assess patients' mobility, essentially, their balance, their strength, and enable them and empower them to be as independent as possible while also minimizing their fall risk. So yeah, so I sat on committees around fall prevention strategies, you know, getting rid of restraints, things like that, in order to promote independence. Physiotherapist and a physical therapist are different? No, they're actually the same. The only issue is geography. (laughs) So in Ontario, Canada, we're referred to as physiotherapist. That's our title. But in the States, it's physical therapist. So that's the only the only difference. I mean, our training is probably a bit different. But yeah, okay. We're essentially I don't Okay, but that gives gives me a better idea of exactly what you did. So you're, I, I, you're, we're going to call you a physical therapist. Sure. So you got involved <laughs> on the therapy team and the rehab team. Right. And you did, you did what you do in the building. Uh, right. you, you had the probably the usual tension between uh, nursing and rehab. This is, we just have to touch on this for briefly because we can. Yeah, um, for sure. Many times the therapy department, the rehab therapists are the most trained and skilled clinicians in the building but they're mm-hmm. only with the patients for very short periods of time. Uh, they're like grandparents. I think that's a good way to explain it to them, <laughs> right? You bring the kids to the grandparents so they get to enjoy them. They get to deal with them on that very, you know, very focused time. And then they go home and yeah. the parents go and they change the diapers and are up at night with them and answer call bell lights and have to deal with the state and all sorts yeah. of other stuff. So it's kind yeah. of so, but at the end of the day, grandparents can give to grandchildren but sometimes parents can't get mm-hmm. that on the spot. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, <laughs> and I think that it's may have been hanging out with grandparents too much. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's an it's an apt comparison where the the therapy team really many you know just to become a, any type of therapist requires you know much more training, and you're dealing with just the skilled part of the of the patient. I know they were slightly dethroned. I don't know how this works in yeah, Canada, yeah. but at least in, in the United States with PDPM, where it put, pulled some of the emphasis on the reimbursement from rehab and shared it a little more evenly throughout the building. But it's still true that you know the rehab team sees things that the rest of the team doesn't see. Right. It's I don't know if the models are similar. So this was at a time back in, oh, I want to say around 2013, around that time. So this was a while ago from my personal direct experience in... in um, in long-term care, but the way it operated, I worked for a private company that was contracted out by the long-term care home. So mm-hmm. I was I was on site every day for at least four hours a day. So I got to at least be there frequently enough so that if issues did arise, I could follow up right away. But it it was it was a learning curve because that was at the time when the restorative care model was being introduced into long long-term care, where they started to see the rehab potential of residents as opposed to just keeping them where they're at, they, they had potential to to improve their transfer status, their mobility status. But prior to that, you're right, in the sense that it was nursing and PSW support who were actually assessing mobility at that time. So when I came in, and that model was changing, and there was now this restorative care model that we were overseeing as, as therapists, it was, it, it, there, it was, there was a little bit of tension there. It was, it was tough trying to come to a, a working agreement at first with all staff and trying to see me more as a teammate rather than a barrier or somebody who was trying to threaten 
job security mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. Right. So I, I just tried to make it as much as possible, knowing that I was there to help rather than hinder. But I mean, for the most part, it was good. Like we, we eventually got through it. And I, I believe we made it a big difference. And that that's what mattered most. And that was kind of mm -hmm. the common goal. Yeah, right. I mean, part of it is that nursing feels you know, if you're as a therapist and like you're doing a, a full assessment or you're, you're trying to figure out, you're, you're looking for problems. Mm -hmm. you know, being that you're not the one who's providing the care, no matter what happens, the problems are going to be with the nursing team. Because yeah. they're the ones who are actually dealing with them. So by nature, you have this, it's a little bit of, you know, it's, again, uh, you know, you have a surveyor that's going to come into your building to tell you how your nursing home is doing. Even if their intent is, genuinely and authentically for the best interests of the residents, which I personally hey, used to wish that that was the case. And I don't believe, honestly, that that is the case. Yeah. But that's a separate conversation. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. That, that, is, that is a separate conversation. We've actually, we have another episode with um, a former Department of Public Health surveyor on this podcast. Okay. Maybe we'll link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But without going down that road again, yeah, by nature, it, it is, you do have that type of dynamic. But let, let's refocus the conversation for a minute. Um, here's, what, here's what I would love to address with you right now, mm -hmm. is that some people call their nursing home inmates residents. Some people you refer to them as patients. Nobody refers to them as inmates. That's just a horrible <laughs> thing to say. Although some of the residents will refer to themselves that way, unfortunately, yeah. and that's it could be for a variety of different reasons, but it could be mm -hmm. the way that it was explained to them or the way that they feel they're being treated, or it could be a myriad of other reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. They probably don't. And that's why they, they probably feel that way. But I, I think the biggest yeah. misconception that people have about nursing home folks is that it's them and it's not us. We think that it's those people, there's a group of people who were born in nursing homes with certain physical, mm -hmm. uh, psychological, emotional challenges, and therefore require a whole team to assist them in their daily living. And, you, you know, if, if they're lucky, they can get some, like you mentioned earlier, restorative health type of program. At the end of the day, there's a them and a us. We're the free outsiders who, mm -hmm. thank God, we're healthy and independent, like you said. Yeah. And then there's a them. I think the first thing, regardless of the name that you call it, I think that's nitpicking. That's not the point. The main, the main point is how do we relate to those that we care for? How do we do we do we view? How do we view them? And I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Oh wow! So the other thing is, I was a caregiver to my dad for more than ten years, and my dad was housebound for many years, and he potentially should have been at long-term care level, but he was fortunate enough to have our family be home with him, especially my mom 24 seven. So uh, much of what I, I saw there personally, I empathized with as well when I was working in long-term care, because, you know, it wasn't my dad's choice to be housebound, right? And oftentimes it's no one's choice, I think, to go into long-term care. And if it is, it's, it is just um, what's, left in terms of living as independently as possible, right? And oftentimes, it's the families making that decision as well. So I really empathized with the residents and the families, I often called families myself, like every single day, I was calling family members. And I think they were kind of shocked by that, because it wasn't very common, just to update them on their, their loved ones progress and things like that. But in terms of relating, I felt like I was in their home, 
I felt like that that's kind of how I approached every interaction with my residents was that I was in their space as opposed to me or them being in my space because I was the therapist. So, you know, s- patients with severe dementia or residents with severe dementia, like I, I had to be very creative in how I was implementing restorative care because, um, because it was difficult for them to follow sometimes. And I know lately, we're seeing a a lot of different characteristics of people in long term care. Traditionally, people thought it was just for geriatric population, right? But now we're seeing people of all ages, who are lacking enough independence and safety to be on their own, that they are now in long term care. So I can only imagine on the staff, currently, like how challenging that must be to to try to relate to each and every individual and and connect with them. But yeah, I think that's the most, that's the most um, important piece is that I, I, I treated it as if I were in their space in their home. Okay, so, so let's try to let's try to just make that practical for a minute for others who are currently working in a nursing home providing care on any level. We know that there are some of the at least United States regulations is that it's supposed to be a home-like environment and that's for you know translation exactly or interpretation exactly what that means and sometimes that term is, is thrown around but moving beyond the regulations to the I guess to the relationship between the providers and those who are receiving the care mm-hmm. how do you do that practically You're walking into a place this is their home it's interesting that it's their home but there's 150 other people that live in this home yeah. There's even the you know the equal number of staff that are servicing this home. There's a very limited amount of privacy that any particular resident has, even if they're in a private room, even if whatever. At the end of the day, some functionalities that you would find in a typical home. They don't mm-hmm. have the dependence to choose to be home, to not be home. So, yeah, you should knock on the door before you come in. You should yeah. ask them, is this, is, this a, is this time okay? But maybe on a higher level, I'm just curious how what's worked for you and more importantly, how can others listening to our conversation right now implement this in their facilities? Mm-hmm. So definitely, I think what you touched on there is actually very important is to knock on the door is to like, I don't think we should overlook that. I think asking for permission is extremely important to provide care, because I've had a lot of residents say no, it wasn't their priority. And, you know, we have to accept that. Um But ultimately, it was like you said, establishing that home environment as much as possible, it was tailoring the treatment and the assessment according to what they what they wanted to focus on, and what their goals of what their goals were like for some people, I know I'm thinking of one lady and specifically like her goal was to not be on a mechanical lift anymore like she you know it she didn't want to be on that lift she she thought she was capable of of standing and and weight bearing and things so we worked so diligently on that and had her son involved too so i think including the family is also important if they have a good relationship with their with their family members to make it feel you know as as empowering as possible to toward their needs and towards their goals. So that's really like one of the things I ask is, you know, what do you want to focus on? Like what matters to you right now? Like these little things. And sometimes people can't say them and, you know, we, we, we do whatever we can to get there. Eventually we do, but sometimes it doesn't always happen in one interaction. And I think it's important to keep showing up no matter what whether a resident is in the right space to participate or not, and not to take those things personally, if they're not. Got it. Got it. Okay, interesting. So 
uh, that is something that I think is a little bit uh, missing is that we, as the professionals providing care, you know, we have the answers. You don't have the answers. It's, it's not limited to nursing homes. Mm-hmm. You go to the doctor, the doctor is in charge of mm-hmm. the interaction. The doctor is going to tell you what's the right level of care. I, I've been in rooms where conversations regarding very sensitive, emotional, spiritual, religious types of conversations were made like, how do we convince the family members? And now that they've reached a certain level of care, a certain level of dependence, a certain new handicap or new setback, that it's time to start thinking about end of life. Mm-hmm. And really, I think it's a horrible thing to do, although I think, unfortunately, it's very prevalent because you may have your own perspectives and decisions and opinions and values but you really have no right to, to implement those on the residents that you're serving. And mm-hmm. Remember, you're serving them. They're the masters, so to speak, and you're, you're being paid to provide for their needs. Exactly. That's why you're there. So I mean, and that's something that I think is, is broader than nursing homes. It's the professional. You bring it just you bring a very simple, you can bring a car to a mechanic and they say, oh, you have to do this service for $900 because in order to ensure that you know, you're going to have this type of result. It's going to be able to drive in these types of trains or be able to drive long-term driving. Just take it out yeah. of the vehicle for a minute. It's I true. Think something everybody can relate to. Well, yeah. Mr. Mechanic, I have a different car for long-term. I just need this to dr- drop off my kids at daycare. I just need this for local shopping. So yeah. don't tell me to do the $900 procedure, which is not valuable to me. But right. I would like the heated seats, even though the car is 15 years old. But right. I spend time in this car or right. I want the backup camera or whatever. And that's, it's important to, to gather as much information about someone as you can, right? And and have them share as much as possible. And that's why sometimes it might not happen, like in the first and only interaction, it has to keep happening, they have to build a rapport, they have to build a trust in you. And definitely, yeah, we have to as much as possible, I would, I would suggest to, to keep your personal biases out of it. Our role is to guide, our role is to, to inform, but our role is not to be authoritative or to make decisions for people based on what we think we would want to do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What if, if I could put you on the spot a little bit, <laughs> well, what has been a an interaction that that you had with some of your residents that has been? It doesn't have to be that it was you. It could be it was you know with people that you were working with that like clearly violated like everything that we're talking about. Like, what is the like the, that you've seen? And and the reason why I'm asking while you think about it is because I, just to bring out the point of what not to do. Sometimes it's much easier to mm-hmm. to understand it that way. Oh wow! I think just generally speaking, one thing doesn't stick out. But I think a rushed approach is and I empathize with providers, right? Like I do, because I am one and I know how busy we are. I know what it's like. But compassion, empathy only takes moments, it really only does. And if again, we can just be present to the person we're with in the moment. So whether we're providing care, whether we're helping them with a transfer, whatever it might be, if we could just take a deep breath and just think of the person in front of us in that moment, I really think that will slow things down enough. And it only takes a few moments to to create that rapport that we need. If you know, if there's resistance there, there's a reason for that. And I'm not saying it's just the provider. But there might be something else going on with the resident that you might be overlooking, because you're you're kind of caught up in, you know, tasks, right. And that's where the systematic barriers come into play. And we have to to, to be sensitive to that too. But yeah, that 
that's like the, the main thing. I think the rushed approach and just making it more about meeting a deadline and a task to go on to the next person when we can offer like small personal touches that mean a lot. Like I usually start an interaction with a personal touch and I try to end it with a personal touch. So, you know, dimming the lights, pulling down the blind or, you know, at the end, you know, grabbing someone a cup of water. Like I think those things go a long way and they only take just a few, a few moments to, to, to develop a rapport. And you'd be surprised by, by how far those things go. Well, compassion and empathy only takes a few moments. I really I love yeah, that. Because less than a minute. That, yeah, that is so yeah. true. I'll share one personal anecdote, which I don't remember if I've shared on the podcast in the past. I probably did. But one, when my, my daughter was born, we were in, she was a few weeks old, and we were in a certain hospital for, for a while. And part of the challenge was that they did not know exactly what was going on. And we were relatively new parents as our second child and it was you know it's a little bit scary you know mm -hmm. she was having trouble breathing and they, they didn't know exactly what it was a little tiny baby mm -hmm. and we, i remember it was one i think it was a nurse's aide or something who probably has no idea what you know what he did but really everyone was busy trying to like you said focus on the problem mm -hmm. is it this is it that did he do this test did he do the other it was like i don't know january or something it was like really cold outside and this one nurse is here, walked in right away, noticed, like, oh, my gosh, he doesn't have socks. Her oh. toes are probably called. Oh, my and God. And he did. And he ran around until he got one. And, you know, that just that small gesture, like you said, it completely changed just where we are. Like, there's hope. You know, things right. can happen. Yeah. And, like you know, and it wasn't anything too serious and ended up being relatively minor. We were out a few days later. But. We just, you know, looking back, we remember that as the tipping point mm -hmm. emotionally for us. We're like, okay, we're, you know, we're glad to be in a good hospital, glad that we have great, you know, clinicians here that are going to, you know, help us out. Like exactly what you said, that's, that small gesture was more meaningful to us than, you know, than really everything else yeah. that was done. I was just going to say, like, you remembered it and you sharing that gave me goosebumps. Like it's, yeah, it just means so much to be recognized just as, as being human, <laughs> truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is really true. And like you said, you know, sometimes with the professionals in the room, they were focusing, you know, only on the problem and, not, you know, not, not on anything else. So, I mean, that's a very practical thing. Mm -hmm. Coming into a room, whether you're a CNA, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a housekeeper, administrator, a social worker, a yeah. therapist, whatever you are, whether you're walking into the room, whether you're engaging with them in any interaction, just that small thing that you're a person yeah. and you're not a problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Person first, always. I know my dad too, like when he had support workers come in and staff, like my dad really valued knowing about people's stories and he really appreciated that. And those were the people that he allowed to provide care for him were the ones that he could connect with. And so I always made it a point to when I worked with residents to just try to understand more of their story. I always asked them about just their lives. And, and yeah, you know, you'd be surprised how much they will, will reveal and how that changes the demeanor of things. Just talking about just talking about their life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, also realizing that the 80 year old person that you're providing care for right has lived for 80 years and has yeah. probably accomplished things that that none of us will ever accomplish and probably is 
talented has done amazing things um, in their life. And they're not, you're seeing them now at a, a certain weakened state, which can be strengthened. Like you mm -hmm. said, you know, with, with this, you know, positive, restorative, can-do attitude, which which mm -hmm. can change everything. I mean, I think what is comparable to maybe, I'm giving a lot of uh, comparisons today, but, you know, That's like great. a lot of times you could have a resident, you can literally, I don't want to give any specific examples, but I could think of a few that I've seen, but you can literally, you could literally mess up in a very serious clinical way. You can misdiagnose something. Mm -hmm. You can, let's just say, you can make very serious clinical errors and they, they may forgive it and not, and let it go. Because that's something that they don't, that most people don't really fully understand the process other than the professionals mm -hmm. who are providing that higher level of care. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the peanut butter and jelly sandwich when it was supposed to be available as an alternate on Tuesdays and today's Tuesday, then, then it becomes a serious problem. Right. And the reason for that is that's not unreasonable because that is something that everybody understands. Yeah. That's something everybody relates to. That's something... It's very basic to the human condition. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas this other stuff, we know that there's probably some inner organs in between the front and back of our bodies <laughs> somewhere <laughs> yeah. in there. Um, and they yeah. probably do different things. And, you know, there might be different therapy, you know, different disciplines that can help us, with, you know, do, do a little bit of a better job with some of these things. But at the end of the day, the layman, most people don't understand it. Even the professionals only understand their very, very specific limited area. Exactly. So, so when you so when you're providing care, like your dad's example, when someone comes in and out, look at it from the resident's perspective. They're sitting in their bed. They moved in. This is their this is their life. Mm -hmm. So there's the TV. There's the person in the other bed. There's the activities. There's the once a month highly anticipated trip outside the facility, which sometimes may or may not happen. With COVID, probably has not happened since forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you're coming in here. That's that's an interesting distraction, even if it's for to perform a painful procedure, even if it means something that's negative, but it's something. Mm -hmm. If you come in, and I know that, you know, Schmoll's coming in, and he's the guy who had a daughter in the hospital, and he has that funny story with the socks, then okay, now now there's, you know, humans crave human interaction. Right. And, and now we're, you know, now we're having one of those interactions, which is called, you know, socializing. It's life. Yeah. You're living. But if you only focus on the care, and you provide the greatest care, you're the best physiotherapist or physical therapist in the world and you got them from being dependent on a mechanical lift and now they can stand up and they're you know on themselves and they're weight bearing or whatever it is they may not appreciate that as much as, as like you said the small touches yeah um the, pro the process to me is so much more than than just the outcome you know when when i work with with patients and residents you know the, the focus is on the outcome but what long-term care working in long-term care showed me was that it's actually more about the process it's more about the journey because most oftentimes they're not leaving the facility right i've had a couple people go home after long-term care for a short while but but most oftentimes this is where they're living from here on out. So how do we make those experiences enriched? How can we make them, you know, meaningful and memorable? Like that that's kind of the um the mindset, I guess you can say, and the intention I go into with uh, when I was working long-term care. It really taught me a lot about yeah, the experience itself rather than just the outcomes. Because in our training, we're focused on outcomes. Every healthcare worker, it's all about the outcomes, all about the outcomes, right? That's our paradigm. But in long-term care, it really slowed me down and really made, made me appreciate moment to moment. Amazing. Amazing. It's very, yeah. 
unique perspective that you know that maybe adopt uh, mm-hmm. and adapt to their particular environment. And I don't think that anyone you know purposely focuses on results as opposed to the process. It's just, but that's the measurable for exactly. what you get paid for and for your job, for what the nursing home gets reimbursed for as a service provider. Yeah. Uh, what the hospitals care about to send you more referrals so that you have revenue to survive. Well, you know, that, that's what everyone's focused on. PDPM, at least here in, in the United States, has shifted so, to some of the re- reimbursement to be more in line with the other disciplines, which does help a little bit to address this issue of somewhat. But Jennifer, before we let you go, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just noticing the time here and you know, we're getting yeah. close to the end of this episode. Any final thoughts you would want to leave um, our listeners with you know, before we part ways for today? No, I think the main thing is that just to try to be truly present to the resident you're with at that time. And the tasks are always going to be there. The next person will understand if you're running a few minutes late. And just just remember that it only takes a few moments to build connection. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. I would just add to that, that let's not limit that to nursing homes. Yeah, exactly. Anyone that you meet in the street, and the person yeah. that's going <laughs> so like, a little bit too slow in front of you on the highway, <laughs> probably not doing it because they hate you. Right. They, they don't know who you are. And then they, they're probably, I don't know, something going on in their yeah. life. Yeah. Maybe just take a moment, take a deep breath <laughs> before that happens. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on the nursing home. Yeah. We really appreciate your perspective, your experience coming all the way from Canada. And we look forward to putting this out um, on the show. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you for having me. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know What an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.